Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. All right. Well, we do this during the regular season after every single Seahawks game, and that has continued after these playoff games. Talking about the little moments that caught our attention with what caught my eye. Let's get to it. Bump, what do you got? What caught my eye? I love me some third downs. I love me some fourth downs. Of course. And both these teams were pretty efficient. The Chiefs were four for eight on third down. You do the math. That's 50%. Go Cougs. <laughs> All right. You should have let me. Do, you should have just given me a moment. My bad. I, I should have I volleyed it you for you. Just, Boom. Yeah. Let you have that. Bam. 50%. No, I'm not going to give you this one because this one's a bit tougher. Okay. <laughs> Philly was 11 for 18 on third downs. That's 61%. 61%. I was there just going to say. <laughs> that was pretty good, though. <laughs> and then Philly was two for two on fourth downs with a couple quarterback sneaks. I just look at this efficiency and I said, man, these offenses were going. Now you put yourself in the third down position a lot of the times when you're Philly because they go for it on fourth down a lot. They see third down. If they are in enemy territory, they see a third down and they say, okay, we got two downs to play with because most Mm -hmm. likely we are going to go for this. But just really efficient on third downs. That lets you know that the offense was clicking on both sides. Love those two stats. See, that's Bump and Nick Sirianni. Always a fan of four down territory. That's that's the two of them. Uh, all right. Well, I'm going to jump to uh, to my first observation here. Uh, this one um, being the Eagles. And the reason I jumped right to it is I'm going to need your, your reaction analysis and help on this one. So uh, quarterback sneaks. The Eagles were fantastic with this. You had a crazy stat. Uh, it was 35 of 38 during the season. They were successful yeah. in quarterback sneak attempts. Yep. It's unreal. There was this fantastic article in The Athletic um, at about, like, I don't know, week 15, 16 or so of the season that talked about just how effectively the Eagles had been using quarterback sneaks. So effectively, in fact, that about midway during the season, um, referees and officials went to teams to clarify the rule because people were accusing the Eagles of pulling Jalen Hurts over the goal line and they needed to clarify that you could just push. You can't pull, but you can push. Well, that's exactly what the Eagles were doing. Go back and look at Jalen Hurts' first rushing touchdown, the first touchdown of the game, in fact. And Jalen Hurts is just getting shoved from behind. They did that on another conversion, not a touchdown, but on a conversion. Um, Here's my thing, Bump. I want to hear what you think about not necessarily the legality, but like the fairness or whatever, being able to push on those quarterback sneaks. But I do want to say something. There's a block by Jason Kelsey on another uh, Hurts touchdown. Hurts barreled through defenders on his two-point conversion. The Eagles use pushing to their advantage, and maybe that makes teams mad, but they've also got a great offensive line and a great quarterback. It's not just some weird thing that they do to, like, cheat. It's not cheating, by the way. It's within the rules. It's within the rules. Just because you push doesn't mean that you'll have success. No. Whoever is teaching Philadelphia this technique when it comes to quarterback sneaks and positioning and leverage and all that stuff, they're just doing a great job. They're teaching it better than you're teaching it. And they have guys who understand it better than your guys understand it. It's within the rules, so I don't see a problem with it. But you know what also helps? Jalen Hurts squatting like 650 pounds or something like that. This dude has strong legs. So you combine that offensive line with Kelsey leading the way, Jalen Hurts and his strong legs, a push by the running back. They're just better at it. So what do you have to do? You have to coach your guys better than these guys are being coached. I actually thought, now he had three touchdowns on the ground, another through the air, which I'm not counting as part of this conversation. I thought his most impressive run was actually on his two-point conversion. Yeah. Like he he did have a block on that one, but like he 
really had to barrel his way through, guys. And no, that was that. That's the thing, and he did. It was absolutely phenomenal work by him. All right, oh. what do you got? What caught my eye? Who would you say is the better rushing team out of these two? The Chiefs e- and Phillies. You got to go Eagles, yeah. right? Eagles had 115 on the ground. Chiefs had 158. The Chiefs averaged 6.1 yards per carry. Ooh. The Eagles averaged 3.6. So not only did this offensive line control this great defensive box by the Eagles, they also controlled the line when it comes to running the football. You saw Pacheco. I love this dude. They exploited the edges. They widened them up by hitting the edge a couple times. Then you send McKinnon up the gut. They switched the game plan up. Mm-hmm. They did what they needed to do in those moments to win the game. If you would have told me that the Chiefs outrushed these guys by, what, 40-something yards, 30-something yards, I'd say, nah, no way. i flip those numbers and say, Philly's going for 158, and the Chiefs go for 115. The Chiefs run the ball, just to keep you honest. But last night, they ran the ball and had success with it, including a couple big runs by a guy with a bum will. I saw that stat, and I say, man, the Chiefs showed again. We can play whatever type of game you want. We're good enough to do that. That's a kind of a follow-up. I feel like there's an oversimplification that happens with every facet of football, but most especially when it comes to describing teams, right? A lot of people say, oh, Pete Carroll, he likes to run the ball, ignoring the fact that they have a really good passing offense and two 1,000-yard receivers. The opposite is kind of true for the Chiefs, where people look at them and say, like, oh, they're just this, you know, high-flying, pass-heavy offense, but they can kind of win however they want, and they've changed that throughout the year. Yeah, that, and that's what's great, man. Teams have to be able to adjust. And in our four down, my four down territory, we talked about what did they do in the second half? They came out and said, look, we're going to play physical football. This is how we're going to open this game up for us. So it's nice to see the Chiefs be able to play whatever type of game, whatever the defense is giving you is what you exploit. That's what the Chiefs did. Can I tack on uh, one more? Mm -hmm. So I agree with you that they were physical. Also, the Chiefs defenders, I feel like they were hitting hard. Like they were hitting. Holy cow. I was like, I'll take all these guys on the Seahawks team. I mean, I I, I miss that kind of like hard-hitting football. It's so fun to watch. Um, but uh, Bill Barnwell in his column for ESPN, looking at kind of what changed in the second half, also added motion as something that changed in the second mm-hmm. half. Did you not see the Chiefs do a lot of it in the first half, or did you just see it pick up in the second? Um, they still did it in the first half, yeah. but it wasn't as effective. Mm. And maybe that's a better way to say yeah. it. All right, I'm going to get back to Hertz for my next one. Looking at that fumble, it looked like Hurts. I've rewatched this a million times to try to figure out how it happened because it it dropped so quickly, like once Bolton touched him. And I settled on Hurts just kind of dropped it. Like it wasn't a forced fumble. He kind of just drops the ball as Nick Bolton, linebacker for the Chiefs, is closing in. Scoop and score by Nick Bolton. Credit to him. But that turnover is the difference in this game. Mm-hmm. And again, we want to go back to some of the things that we always bring up with the Seahawks and Pete Carroll highlighting the turnover battle. When you have two number one seeds, two great teams that are both so evenly matched. I mean, this was a phenomenal game up until the final two minutes. And even then, the final two minutes, one of my favorite Super Bowls to watch. That is the difference. And Jalen Hurts postgame apologized to teammates saying, hey, this was this was a seven-point play I gave up. We lost in three points like, that's on me. I'm so sorry. Teammates wouldn't let him apologize. But, I mean, that's all it takes in moments like this. You want to get to the biggest game where it matters the most? Little did we know at the time that that would probably end up being the difference. Oh, I knew. I felt it. Yeah? I go, if they lose this game, it'll be that's going to be the play. Than, that's yeah. free points. Your offense never touched the field. Yep. You, know, you had momentum at that time. You're moving forward. 
that was such a big play, and I felt so bad for them in the moment because I knew it. I go, they lose this game because it, it was turning out to be a shootout. We knew that it was going to be close, and that play was huge. And sometimes it just happens that way. Maybe you get your eyes down the field too quickly. Yeah. Uh, you, you miss one step in your fundamentals. That's why fundamentals are so important. That's why you do things called EDDs, everyday drills. I guarantee you, every day at practice, Jalen Hurts goes through the motions. You get the snap, ball security, good good feet, good uh, ball high and tight, eyes where they're supposed to be. There's a procedure for everything in that play right there, man. It is an example of why you got to make sure you cross your T's and dot your I's because plays like that can happen. I'm going to tack on one final note, and that was a quote from Bolton after the game. He was asked about the scoop and score. Obviously, it's very exciting. He said, God, I didn't even know what happened. I just saw the ball and all of a sudden you're back in middle school. You just pick it up and you run. It was very exciting. Congratulations to him. But he also said it was kind of weird because you're scoring in a neutral stadium, which means it's all kind of loud. People are excited, but you run in and it's almost awkward because there's no like big chant from the home crowd or even Mm -hmm. booze from or silence from from a road game. It's just kind of the same. Like, I wonder if him for crossing the plane, you kind of think, was there a flag? Like, there's no reaction to my (laughs) touchdown right now. Which, once again, highlights uh, the neutral locations for the Super Bowl. It's always going to happen. It's the Super Bowl. It's the biggest game. Forget the crowd. But under no circumstances should we ever include more neutral site locations for games because it's just not as fun for the players. Nah, don't, I don't ever want to hear the NFL talk Never. about neutral sites for the AFC-NFC championship game. Kill that noise. All right. Uh, we got time for two more. Do you have one? Yep. All right. What caught my eye? Time of possession. There was a time Ooh. in this game where in real time, 90 minutes had gone by and the Kansas City Chiefs ran nine plays on offense. Now you look at the overall time of possession. Philadelphia had the ball for 35 minutes and 47 seconds. You got Chiefs, on the other hand, 24 minutes, 13 seconds. So what that tells me is that Philly dominated time possession early, but when it was time to go, that high-octane offense got going. They scored quickly. They scored efficiently. Typically, when you dominate the time of possession, you're going to see some disparity in the numbers. You're probably going to rush for more yards. Didn't do that. You're probably going to throw for more yards. Um, I think they got them a little bit there. Yeah, 302 to 182. But that's where numbers can be deceiving at times because you don't need to possess the ball for a long time if you are the Kansas City Chiefs. You put up 17 points in the fourth quarter alone. That means you were efficient. You were quick. You controlled the tempo. Philadelphia slowed the game down initially, and I think that favored them. But once it was time to get going, once Kansas City felt the pressure, man, they turned it up a bit and came away with the W. Uh, All right. Let me wrap this up with this one. And let's stay on this one for a bit because I want to transition to a conversation about the Seahawks for like two minutes at the end. Um, God, I don't want to misattribute this quote to uh, to Sirianni, but I could have sworn I saw it Uh, either way. There's a play that I kept rewatching and it was the 45 yard touchdown to A.J. Brown. Uh, with McDuffie kind of, you know, not hanging off him if he was actually in front of him and just didn't track the ball in the same way. And I rewatched it over and over and over and over, not just because it was a great play bump, but I was trying to figure out, like, where did McDuffie lose this? Like, where was this battle won by Brown? And there's a great move kind of right as Brown is crossing, uh, like a little start stop right as he's crossing the goal line. Um, Obviously, he is able to track the ball. As a former center fielder, by the way, I didn't know that. He's able to track the ball. McDuffie isn't. But it really does come down to just having a better player. And we mentioned that earlier, but I want to get back to it. Um, There was a quote that I read before the game. I want to say it was Nick Sirianni about like, yeah, also what makes a great coach is having great players. And the one thing the Seahawks have really been kind of trailing behind 
uh, earlier iterations of this franchise is that they haven't had the same like blue chip talent that they used to have. And when you get to the biggest moments and the biggest games, having the better guy matters, right? Yep. Like anytime you want to talk about, you know, why does Aaron Donald always find a way to beat these guys? Because he's just better. Like he's just better than you. You can prepare as much as you want. He's just going to beat you. You hear guys talk about Patrick Mahomes. You can double team Kelsey and, you know, know exactly the play Mahomes is going to run. And sometimes it just doesn't matter because if you have better players, that's really where the game is lost. Yeah, the game isn't played on a piece of paper where you draw up the plays and you say against this coverage, against this defense, this play should work. Or defensively, you're saying if they come out in this and we know what play they're going to run, this coverage should work because you got human beings running, running the routes, cover, uh, coverage on defense. And what A.J. Brown did, it was so subtle. It was so beautiful, though. He gets inside release on on McDuffie. Mm. Now McDuffie's in a trail technique because he realizes that safety's over the top. He's got some help. So at the top of his route, AJ, AJ Brown, he attacks the safety. What that does to Duffy, he slides underneath a bit more. Now the safety condenses a bit to the middle of the field. Then he snaps it off. So now at that point, you see that snap. And McDuffie, you're taught not to look for the ball if you are losing. Now he's losing right there. A.J. Brown has created space with that safety. So when McDuffie feels like he's in position now to look for the football, it's a gamble. You don't know where that ball is. You're looking up, trying to locate it. Meanwhile, A.J. has his eyes on it the whole time, and he's a big human being. Gives him a little nudge at the top of the route. Yeah. It's all good. Rubbing his racing. Remember that? Nudge a little <laughs> top of the route. Then he goes and gets the rock. So it was beautiful to see. Theme of the day. Just rubbing his racing. That's good. What was it called? Days of Thunder? Days of Thunder. We, the entire text line, just said Days of Thunder. Yeah, they know. They know what's up. Apparently they do. Cole Trickle is uh, Tom Cruise's uh, name. Cole in Trickle? Cole Trickle. No. Yeah. That sounds like a that sounds like a NASCAR driver. <laughs> That's if, why they named him that, Stacey. <laughs> I'm just saying, it just sounds like a perfect name for it. So good job uh, to that movie. I couldn't tell you what it's about or what happens other than it sounds like Tom Cruise is driving a car. Really fast. Really fast. Uh, but yeah, that was just the lasting impression for me from this game. It, yeah, it caught my eye because it's a fun play, but... In the moment, I was thinking, like, God, like, sometimes it really is that simple mm-hmm. for all the complicated stuff we add to it. And analytics are fun and talking about the game is fun. Like, it's a game played on the field. You're right. And sometimes it just comes down to who's bigger, stronger, faster. Mm-hmm. And I almost hate that it's that simple, but kind of love it, too. Yeah. I can't explain it. All right. Let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Headline number one: The Jets have reportedly checked in with the Packers on Aaron Rodgers' availability in a trade. What's the real headline? Shooters shoot. That's exactly what the Jets are doing. You've had some really good analogies on this show, and I feel like we were talking about. I don't know that it was the Jets, but it was about being at the club. Oh, yeah. You see the 10 <laughs> at 8, 30, 10 p.m. And you're like, ah, it's, it's just not my shot. Nah. And then it gets to the end. Like, the, the, no, the Jets know that they're, you know, uh, out kicking their coverage. Yep. But they're still going to be like, so what's up with Aaron Rodgers? Mm-hmm. They, they, heard, <laughs> they heard the last call. <laughs> last call. They're like, all right, this is well, it. hey. What are we doing? We're going for it. Anybody who uh, was in Pullman when I was out there, 04 to 08. You hear last call and the double doors. You hear our, the DJ used to say the double doors. That means 
done. Go through the double doors. It's yeah. time to get out of here. Yeah. That's where the Jets are. They say, look, we got Nathaniel Hackett. You know, what, what about him? You guys have a good relationship. You said you bonded when you were over there with Green Bay. Why not shoot your shot? You have the offensive rookie of the year over there. You have a good running back. You have a defense that's decent over there. Why not, man? I mean, the defense is great. You're going to have Garrett Wilson, Offensive Rookie of the Year. You have the Defensive Rookie over there. You have Brees Hall when he comes back, who was fantastic to start the season. He's on my fantasy team. I'm very upset about it. <laughs> I, I was un- unstoppable for a couple weeks there. Uh, you have more weapons with New York than you do with Green Bay right now. However, you know Green Bay. People worship you there. You have uh, this offensive-minded head coach, and you have a lot of power. Does he have quite the same power when he goes to New York or is Robert Sala like, hey, welcome, but like I'm the head coach, right? Are you, you wonder if it's going to look like Russell Wilson going to Denver where it's this 50-50 split or Russell nah. Wilson has a lot of power? Heck no. Nah. I think Sala. Or if Sala's like, man, this is my team. I think Sala says this is my team, but he eases up in some areas because it's Aaron Rodgers. Yes. And Aaron Rodgers has a longer track record of history, I feel like, than Russell Wilson. And his mental is just different. But end of the day, that's Salah's team. All right, next up. Headline rewrites. Headline number two, Derek Carr says he will not waive his no-trade clause, which will likely cause the Raiders to release him. What's the real headline? I can think of 40 million reasons why the Raiders will release Carr this week. Uh, three days after the Super Bowl, that 40 million number becomes fully guaranteed for Carr, whereas if the Raiders release him before Wednesday, which is obviously three days after the Super Bowl, uh, they can save more money towards the cap and avoid that kind of hit. Yeah, that's a smart move. That's the business move by the Raiders. You go ahead and you get rid of that guy right now. Save yourself about $41 million. And uh, you let him see what's out there, man. And Carr, I'm looking at his career as a whole. Nine seasons, six different head coaches. How tough is that? Has never played with a defense that was ranked lower than 20th. This guy's had to win some ball games. Got them to the playoffs twice. Was injured the first time. Loses to the Bengals the second time. Last four years, his passing offense has been top 10 in the league. He's not a bad football player. He's been in some bad situations. He's not the guy who's going to win the game by himself. He needs some help. So whoever gets Carr, you're going to get a guy that's going to be really competitive. But he's in the same area that most guys in their 30s are. You're in the transition now. If You get two, maybe three years with this ball club. Hopefully, you can get them to the playoffs and maybe even get into a Super Bowl. But you're going to help develop somebody else. I think if he goes to the Saints, it's tough news for the NFC because all of a sudden you add another good quarterback there. And the NFC right now is so thin at the very top with quarterback that even adding Carr is competition for mm-hmm. Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in a really, really close NFC South where you've mentioned it before. Whoever gets the best quarterback is going to win that division. It's yep. just, it's done. Um, but I I wonder why I never give Carr enough credit because I know all these things, right? You're telling me these things and it's like, okay, you're right. He's never had a great defense. He's had a lot of changes with coordinator and with head coach. Why is it that I still, is it that he still makes occasionally some dumb decisions? Like what is it that keeps people from giving Carr benefit of the doubt? I think it's because he's not constantly elite. He's had one, maybe two elite seasons where yeah. he's thrown for over 4,000 yards and Lil Gray was an MVP candidate one year before he breaks his leg. But other than that, he's been good enough to keep them competitive. He's like 2-10 and 10 in cold weather. He's 17 and like 50-something against playoff teams. He's going to beat the teams he's supposed to beat, mm-hmm. but he needs help to beat these elite-type teams, the elite quarterbacks. You look at matchups, right? We look at Josh Allen and Joe Burrow go at it. We love that. We look at Pat Mahomes and Tom Brady go at it. It's never a week where you say, here's a quarterback matchup. We got mm-hmm. Derek Carr versus, versus somebody else. We just don't see that. He's 
He's a second tier type of quarterback. He is. I mean, I would also put Matthew Stafford in that uh, tier, whether he's with the Rams, whether he's with the Lions. Mm-hmm. But to me, when he was with the Lions, especially with Calvin Johnson, it was just more obvious that he was more talented yeah. than the pieces around him. Yeah. With Carr, you're like, okay, I could buy it. But I'm hesitant to like truly believe it or bet on mm-hmm. it. All right, next up. Headline rewrites. Headline number three, the Kraken snapped their losing streak with a 4-2 win over the Flyers. But Matty Beneers had to be helped off the ice after taking a puck to the leg in the game's closing seconds. What's the real headline? So maybe the Kraken lost after all. Let me just say, nothing worse than an injury in uh, an inconsequential moment. Whether it's the final seconds, whether it's the final game, um, a horrible analogy or a horrible comparison. But Quandre Diggs getting injured when the Seahawks weren't going to be in the playoffs in the final game of the season. And you're just thinking like, oh, man. Right, Maddie Beneers in the final seconds. You're like, if only. <laughs> like yeah. You were almost there. The game was almost won and over. And now it's won, but you have two big question marks with Maddie Beneers and obviously Andre Burkowski. The worst part about Maddie Beneers going down is that sometimes players go through this run of bad luck when it comes to injuries. And you're hoping that that isn't the case with Maddie Beneers. I don't think this team is who they are today if he's not on the ice consistently. So we're going to see. He's he's a young man, so maybe his bounce-back game is great. When I was 19, 20 years old, I can do anything the night before, the day before, be injured, go out, have a good time, and I'm going to be back fairly quickly. So uh, get that treatment. Do what the trainers are telling you to do because this cracking team needs you. I'm sorry. There was a real NASCAR driver named Richard Trickle. Apparently, and yeah, his name was Dick lines. Trickle. He was a race car driver, Stacy. I was gonna Google it, but I was afraid to Google it. I thought people were pranking me. No, that was his <laughs> name. I don't watch a lot of NASCAR. Like I, I know the very biggest names of more recent years, and that's pretty much it. But yes, Dick wow. Trickle existed. Wow, he was I, a I real feel person. I'm nervous with you saying it. That's a hell of a name. That's a hell of a name. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, this hour, Bump and Stacy is brought to you by Muckle Shoot Casino. Um, we're going to talk about the Eagles uh, staying power within the NFC, the Seahawks road um, to the playoffs, all that stuff coming up in NFL headlines. Uh, before then, though, we're going to bring on Dave Wyman, talk Super Bowl, what stuck with him from this game, what he loved, what he hated, and, of course, the controversial call we're all talking about today. Don't go anywhere. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports Station. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. The Kansas City Chiefs are your Super Bowl champions, defeating the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35. Let's talk about the game and what stood out. Today, Wyman joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. What's up, Wyman? Hey, how you guys doing? Congratulations, Stacy. Oh, thank you so much. I should probably tell you guys, I won the office bracket. Uh, if the Eagles won, Dave would have you beat me. But You haven't told anybody yet? You've got to be kidding me. I haven't mentioned it. I had an almost perfect bracket, only missed one game. I'm um, a superstar and the best person at the office. That's, I guess, what I'm what I'm really saying. Uh, Dave, thank for you, though. <laughs> thank you, thank you, though, uh, for your congratulations. Uh, I appreciate it. Let's talk about uh, maybe one of your favorite moments. What stood out from the Super Bowl? Bump and I were talking about kind of the things that were sticking with us after the game. What are one or two things sticking with you? Well, I think, first of all, you, you have to love the Chiefs right now. I mean, Patrick Mahomes and... Kelsey and Andy Reid. But, you know, the the two stars of the the game, to me, were Steve Spagnuolo and Eric Bieniemy. 
I thought they both and Spagnolo last time as well. You know, I did a football one on one the last time they won the Super Bowl over the 49ers. How that guy's been at it forever, and he is a he, he's a very simple like you know as far as his defenses go, he does a great job of letting his guys turn it loose. The very first play, Stacy, I was like, oh, Stacy's going to win. I mean, this their defense just attacked like they were. You know, you never know how somebody's going to come off of a of a two week lull, and and a lot of times the game gets on top of you, and you see guys playing slow. They were playing fast, and then the enemy. I mean, I don't know that he's entirely responsible for all of it, but how many times did they have wide open players? I mean, that was all schemed, and especially the one where I don't know if it was Tony, whoever went in motion and then stopped and went back. They saw something on film. And bump, you know this. They, you know, their defenders when they're running with a guy across the formation, they're turning their head and looking to weave through traffic. And the receiver stops and goes back. I thought that was that was brilliant. And there was a number of times that their uh, their coordinator just they had wide open uh, receivers. Yeah, great designs. Um, I think they ran about two or three times. They did that with Juju Smith at the end. They did that and converted it to a will, Dave. I will. I, I, I see a will route. I was loving that. But uh, man, I want to ask you about is your thoughts on Jalen Hurts because coming into this game, people obviously respect him as a quarterback. He was a runner-up when it comes to the MVP. But this dude threw for three hundred yards, and without that fumble, man, we might have seen one of the greatest performances. From a quarterback, three rushing touchdowns. No other quarterback has done that. Just your thoughts on Jalen Hurts and if he changed your impression of him or if he changed the impression to people across the league. Yeah, I think it changed. Hopefully, I mean, Patrick Mahomes afterwards was singing his praises. So, you know, it impressed him, and that's all that you really need to know, right? But, yeah, I've loved Jalen Hurts. That's the reason why I thought they would win. I also thought... You know, the other amazing thing that uh, that the Chiefs did, um, they didn't give up any sacks. And Hertz was, was running around a little bit and getting pressured, but he's a master of that. I, I love the way he plays. And, you know, I think he, he's a big threat. The only thing I worry about with him is, is he going to get injured? But, you know, he's, uh, yeah, he's as good as anybody. He's just a different type of quarterback, but it fits their system. So, yeah, I was very, and I'm always impressed by the things that he says afterwards. You know, he's a very grounded guy who, uh, you know, I think just totally gets it. Hey, Wyman, another thing everyone's talking about today is obviously uh, that holding call um, that was uh, on Bradbury uh, covering Juju Smith-Schuster. And Bump and I have been talking about it, conversation kind of naturally leading there anyways, Um I mean, what's your take on whether or not to make the call in that moment? Well, I just, I've heard before that you can't call that in that moment. You know, it's a game-winning drive. But, I mean, what are we going to do, just pitch out the rules because it's a game-winning drive in the Super Bowl? Uh, I thought he held him. The guy said as much that he held him. And then, you know, the other thing is a lot of people were saying, oh, that's an uncatchable ball. Well, you you saw in our thread bump. I mean, you, Brian Walters, you know that that's a catchable ball. It looks, you know, most people will say it's not, but it was, and that's the reason why he didn't get to it. I mean, otherwise it would have been a touchdown. Well, I don't think so, it matters for holding, right? 
What's that? I don't. Does it matter for holding if it's catchable or not? Uh, well, maybe I, not. I, I don't know. I, I agree I with just, you, Dave. I just thought he was going to get to that. Um, he was going to get to that that ball no matter what. And uh, yeah. yeah, the guy, you know, like you said, he he admitted it. Dave, I look at this Chiefs offense, and when you think of the offense, you think of Pat Mahomes spreading it out, everyone getting touches. But I really thought to open up the third quarter, I mean, they changed the game. They ran the ball four straight times. Pacheco, in my opinion, is the most physical runner, skill skill guy they have over there. Did you sense that? Did you feel like the Chiefs kind of changed their approach in the second half and say, all right, to loosen this thing up, let's get aggressive, let's get physical, and then let Pat do his thing? Yeah, their off, uh, offensive line kind of had their way, didn't they? I mean, yeah. I mentioned earlier, no socks. And then Pacheco, man, you talk about a seventh, was he a sixth or seventh rounder? Um, I, I think he's a, he was a teammate of Bo Melton, a Rutgers guy. And, you know, as far as those angry runs go, bump you're talking about, that's, that guy runs hard, man. I really, I really like what he brings. So yeah, they got, and that's kind of encouraging, right? That you can get, a running back like that that affects the Super Bowl and, you know, you get him late in the draft. Hey, Wyman, I feel like we're running out of good things to say about Patrick Mahomes, but it still feels uh, like a genuine reaction to say those good things because he just continues to impress you and do great things. I mean, uh, let's talk about specifically what he was able to do in the second half. Um, Is this just one of those intangible, like, clutch factor things? What did you see from Mahomes? Yeah, he's just a very poised kid, and I think the toughness, <laughs> the first thing I thought was, okay, he's going to go in and get that shot up, you know, some kind of pain relief or something. And, you know, and, and if they did, they probably wouldn't tell anybody because they don't want it to, you know, sound like that. But, um, yeah, he doesn't come off as a tough guy, but he totally is a tough guy. The scene where he puts his head on the trainer's shoulder like, oh, no, I yeah. can't go through this again. That was, you know, that was epic. You know, we talk about uh, the Hacksaw Reynolds that played with a broken leg in one Super Bowl. I mean, that's that was one of the – because from what I understand, the high ankle sprain is just brutal. It's incredibly painful, and he came out and just sucked it up and even, you know, ran a couple of times. So it was pretty – pretty impressive by him i think he he pretty much can do everything right he can run it he can throw it obviously he's got all kinds of different arm angles and then you factor in the toughness that's uh that's a a quarterback that's going to be good for a long time i love seeing mahomes run dave it's like he's on a a -a jogathon running like a 5k or something like that he just finds ways to (laughs) scoot around and get it done Um, but i'm uh, i'm in this this family group chat and my family members Uh-oh. are getting at Melvin Gordon for celebrating like he contributed to the Super Bowl win. And I'm telling these dudes, he's practice squad. I mean, he's there during the week. He should be able to celebrate. How, how do you feel about Melvin Gordon celebrate, celebrating as if he was on the field that day? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're part of the team no matter what. And, you know, that. I mean, I, I guess I would keep it low-key, but uh, – yeah, you just won the Super Bowl. He I mean, come on. Yeah, I was on I was on scout team my entire rookie year, and and every once in a while I would go over and play just for fun, even when I was in Denver, um, just because I wanted to help out. So yeah, I, I mean, it's a team, it's a team effort, and there's lots of things that you could point towards that uh, that helped them. So uh, yeah, I'm all for it. Okay. 
if you have to think of, I'm kind of putting you on the spot, you know, the top five Super Bowls you've loved watching. This is the most fun I've had watching a Super Bowl since the last time the Eagles were in one. I love the 2017 Super Bowl between New England and Philadelphia. Does this game fall into your top five Super Bowls ever? Gosh, that's, yeah. I mean, I know why it was top five for you. Mm-hmm. Because you'll always remember winning the pool. Uh, yeah, for me, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. It kind of it had everything, right? I mean, for Mahomes to come come back, you know, after uh, going in at halftime, everybody thought, you know, oh boy. And I was even I was telling Shannon, I, we're watching it together. I'm going, well, this Chad Henney guy's pretty good. You know, he might be able to get it done, and maybe he could have. You know, the way they ran the ball, but. Uh, yeah, it was uh, th- that was a good one. I'll say that. I don't know about top five, but uh, yeah, it's it, it was really entertaining, and I'm just glad. I think everybody just wants a good game, right? You, you don't want to exactly. you don't want some kind of a blowout, or you don't want something to happen because of you know the rain or whatever. And that's one thing. I, I mean, I know they all play on the same surface, but the painting of the field is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I know we're gonna get that get into that on our show, but I. You know, you can see the players, the paint makes it slip more slippery. And then, you know, the other question I have is everybody wants natural grass so bad. Why? It's the least consistent. It's the least consistent surface. Everybody has different grass. We saw what happened in Germany. I mean, that field was made for soccer players and guys were, you know, slipping all over. So that, that's the one thing I think that, you know, my biggest complaint that, you know, because then it becomes form over function. Right. Like we're all here, we're all here to to watch the game. Damn it, not to look at all the fancy colors and the halftime show and all that, you know. And so that 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 fancy part of it colors. kind of kind of bothered me a little bit. I love it, Wyman. Um, am I making a cut out of that? Yes. Uh, but more importantly, you can hear more of this conversation from Dave Wyman at two p.m. with Wyman and Bob. Thanks so much, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, guys. See ya. A new free agent quarterback to consider for the Seahawks and a wrench is thrown into the Eagles' plans to return to a Super Bowl in 2023. That's next when we take a look around the NFL. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle's Sports Station. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Well, if the Eagles want to return to a Super Bowl in 2023, they're going to have to find a new offensive coordinator and potentially bump a defensive coordinator. Per ESPN's Adam Schefter, Eagles defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon will interview today for the Cardinals head coaching job. Meanwhile, Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen is going to Indianapolis to finalize his head coaching deal with the Colts. So short one offensive coordinator, TBD on defense. Uh, not a ton of obstacles in the Eagles' way. They're probably going to be the favorite team in the NFC, I would imagine. But certainly at least one. That's what happens when you win. When, when you, you win. have, during the regular season, the number three offense and the number two defense. They're saying, who's running the show over there? What are they doing? What do we like? How are they able to connect with these guys? How are they able to get them to execute? They become hot on the market, just like players. If it's their... their uh, their free agency year, you have a good season, you're going to get sought after. That's the curse of having a good football team is that you know that you're going to lose players, you're going to lose coaches too. Meanwhile, Eric Bieniemy could be interviewing for some other jobs. It would likely be for offensive coordinator at this time, given the head coaching positions that could be filled pretty soon. Andy Reid postgame said, Eric Bieniemy has been tremendous for us, and I think tremendous for the National Football League. I'm hoping he has an opportunity to go somewhere and do his thing where he can run the show and be Eric Bieniemy. 
I think from the outside, it's hard for people to tell where Andy Reid's impact stops and Eric Bieniemy's begins. That's part of, I think, some of the confusion. Uh, but I would be so interested to see Eric Bieniemy taking over and, and having more of his own imprint on a game. The only way Bieniemy makes a lateral move is to, one, get out of the shadow of Andy Reid. Sure. So he has full control over the offense. Or he's going to a situation to where eventually he could be the head coach. Other than that, why would you leave the greatest offense in all the land with the best quarterback in all of the land? It's because you want to be your own man. You want to be your own self. Whenever we talk about the Chiefs offense, the first thing we talk about is Andy Reid, and rightfully so. He's earned that. He deserves that. But we cannot deny that Eric Bieniemy has had his hands all over this offense. I just wish we knew exactly what plays he called, what plays he installed. We just don't know. That's part of the reason why he would consider leaving. In 2019, the... Uh the Chiefs had a play that they said that they borrowed from like an old uh, college football game. Curtis, do you remember this one? It was the one where they did the spin around. Oh, like right? Yeah. And that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid said was Eric Bieniemy. Mm-hmm. So you know he's creative and he dips into history. And I think that maybe it's a, a meeting of two great offensive minds with Bieniemy and Reid, both yeah. being really, really smart and really, really creative. I just, it, it's, it's a perfect marriage. I would. You'd still love to see him get a chance somewhere else. I'm going to stick with the Chiefs for one last story here about Kansas City, and it's good news. Uh, Patrick Mahomes post game was asked about his ankle. Hey, are you going to, you know, be able to participate this offseason? He said he doesn't anticipate it holding him back. This is what he said about the injury: um, that once you have a high, a high ankle sprain, when any little tweak like that happens, it just really magnifies it. Luckily, we were able to get to halftime, get some new tape on it, and uh, some movement to try to get mobility back. Yeah, Patrick, that's all you did. Yeah, uh, he said, "I'll for <laughs> sure be ready for OT." and everything like that. Obviously, we'll continue to rehab and continue treatment uh, and just give it some rest. But he said the best thing for it's going to be rest. It doesn't sound like it's going to be a surgery kind of thing. It nah. sounds like it's just you get some time off of it, but it's not going to hold you back once OTAs start. That's the best thing for that injury. It's just time. Let yeah. it heal. And uh, you alluded to it. Pat Mahomes, we know you went in there at halftime and maybe got a little needle, <laughs> and a little needle action over there. You did what you had to do to win that ball game. No judgment. No, at no point was I concerned about Pat Mahomes and his offseason. All he needs is time. He's in a good place. He's at Disney World right now with his babies and his yep. wife. Yep. Life is good for that young man. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, this one is inspired by a listener question. I'll tell you the story and then introduce the listener question. Derek Carr could be released by the Raiders before Wednesday. It would save the Raiders from paying him a fully guaranteed $40 million. You guys already know this. It means Carr becomes a free agent. He may end up with his former head coach, Dennis Allen, in New Orleans. He had a visit with them a little bit ago. But should he be a name Seattle looks looks at, bump, this was the listener question. Mm. How would you compare the overall value of Carr versus, versus Geno Smith? Overall value? I would say they're pretty comparable. I would definitely say that. When you look at Derek Carr's numbers this year, 3,500 yards, 24 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. The only thing, well, a few things that Geno has over Carr is that he knows this offense. He has been here. He also showed that he is slightly more careful with the football. Mm -hmm. Now, Derek Carr was only sacked 27 times. I believe Geno was up in the 40s, top five in the league when it comes to sacks. He needs to get better at that. But I see that as almost an even trade. Why would you why would you go from one 
older quarterback to the next older quarterback. The only way that you entertain Derek Carr is if Geno decides to sign somewhere else. But with Derek Carr, we're, we're assuming he's going to be released before Wednesday. Yes. With him being released, he is now able to talk to teams. He's got a head up on the competition when he's trying to figure out his situation. So that might not even be an option because Derek Carr is going to find his home sooner than later. But if they were both available and we go into March 15th, then I say, look, you do everything you can to keep Gina. I don't, that's more of a lateral move to me going after Derek Carr. Right. But presumably for more money, because Derek Carr is going to say, Hey, I was getting big money, exactly. right? Like I'm not going to take a huge pay cut. Maybe he does, but mm-hmm. I doubt it. He's got to compete with uh, Jimmy G out there who you think is probably going to be more of like a veteran backup yep. uh, kind of role, or maybe like a bridge starter. Um, Houston. Yep, Exactly. You get, you get bragging rights if it happens. I'll, uh, you've called it like every time we've mentioned <laughs> Jimmy G. Uh, all right, you're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up next, can you pay a quarterback big money and win a Super Bowl? Patrick Mahomes just threw a wrench into that question.